Welcome to Integrated Brain Health. My name is Dr. Robert Coben. I'm a clinical neuropsychologist and am board certified in QEG technology and neuromodulation. This is our Neuroscience Rounds podcast. You will get a glimpse into our training programs where we talk about neuroscience, technology, neurofeedback, neuropsychology, and other related matters. We hope this helps with your knowledge base and ability to intervene and help patients successfully. On to the podcast. Hello, and welcome to Neuro Rounds. Uh, I'm Dr. Christy Snyder calling, and this is round 22. We're going to shift now to talk about um, different kind of syndromes and disorders. And today we're going to start talking about trauma and the spectrum of disorders that are related to it. So first I want to talk about how trauma affects the developing brain. So the brain is a very dynamic and active system, and it self-organizes based on the input that it receives. So babies are born, and within the first two years of life, they have lots of synaptic connections between each neuron. And then brain development and learning is all about synaptic pruning, so taking away the connections that you don't need. But this pruning is really sensitive to experience, so including stress. So uh, stress has an inflammation mechanism that affects the glial cells, which are supportive cells. Um, and there are some critical periods where certain parts of the brain are more or less um, vulnerable um, to certain factors uh, that you can experience in your environment. So um, when you have uh, maladaptive, I mean, when you have mistreatment of a child, abuse or neglect, you can have maladaptive brain development. So when a baby uh, cries or gestures or reaches out, um, it should receive reliable and appropriate reactions from caregivers. And this is how babies learn, this is how their brains develop and learn how to interact with the world and get their needs met. However, if they grow up in a chaotic environment where it's very threatening um, or negligent, then either they can become hypervigilant because they're always being threatened or could not fully develop if they're not getting any kind of feedback. So that's kind of the genesis of how childhood uh, mistreatment can start to affect the structure of the brain itself. So um, the effects of childhood maltreatment depend on lots of factors. So the age of the child, the duration, whether it's a one-time event or it's chronic. If it is chronic, what is the length of the maltreatment? Um, the identity of the abuser, whether it's a parent or another adult. Um, whether there is a dependable nurturing adult in their life. Um, and the type of severity of maltreatment. And uh, the child, abu the abuse and neglect, maltreatment in general, can have all kinds of effects. Um, the kid can be uh, constantly alert, unable to relax, uh, fearful all the time, find social situations challenging because they're not sure how to interpret their environments. They can have learning deficits, uh, depression, anxiety, and a number of other disorders we'll go over. And then they're also not able to process positive feedback. So it affects the reward circuitry. So there was a great paper done in 2006 that looked at adverse childhood experiences um, where they surveyed over 17,000 people and asked them whether they experienced certain, um, certain events in their life. So emotional abuse, so did their parents or caregivers swear at them, uh, insult them, put them down, or act in a way that made them feel threatened, um, 10, 11% identified that happening. 
uh, physical abuse. So did your caregiver push you, push you, grab, slap, or hit you to leave a mark? Um, 28% um, identified as that, that happening. 20% uh, had sexual abuse. And this is all before the age of 18. Um, household dysfunction. So we asked them, or they asked them, if they lived with anyone who has um, a drinking problem or alcoholic or who used street drugs, 27% uh, identified that. Were they raised in a household with a member who is severely mentally ill or depressed? 19% uh, identified as that. And then 13% um, identified as the mother being treated violently, so domestic abuse. 5% um, had an incarcerated household family member. And um, about 23% had a parental divorce, which I thought that was kind of low relative, you know, the divorce rate, but that's how they identified in the survey. So it's a pretty, pretty big sample, 17,000. So what they then did is then they related it to a number of other factors. And they have what they call an ACE score. So adverse childhood experiences is their score. So the number of these events they experienced is their ACE score. And you can see on almost all these measures, as the number of the ACE score increases, you are more likely to have these um, in your life. So they related them to mental health disturbances, so panic reactions, depressed affects, anxiety, um, sleep disturbances, obesity. Um, these are all increase, the chances of you having them increase with the number of um, ACE, uh, your ACE score. Um, also, there is substance abuse is related to this, so smoking, alcoholism, illicit drug use, also increase as your ACE score increased. Um, also, um, early intercourse defined as before the age of 14. Promiscuity defined as 30 or more partners. And then sexual dissatisfaction also increased with your ACE score. It also has some cognitive effects. So the memory impairment also increased as your ACE score increased. A level of a perceived stress. Difficulty in controlling your anger, so impulse control, and then the risk of intimate partner violence. So if you're, if you grew up in a household where there's domestic violence, you're more likely to see that as an acceptable way of being treated and your risk also increases. So there's a lot of um, effects of these adverse childhood experiences. So I want to talk about a few of the disorders that are related. So we have these uh, individual sy symptoms that happen. There's also disorders that are more likely to happen. So post-traumatic stress disorder is one such thing. Um, so this is where you have an exposure to an event um, that can threaten the death or serious bodily energy. And it caused intense fear, helplessness, or horror. Um, these uh, people have kind of re-experienced a traumatic event. They have intrusive thoughts, nightmares, they have physical reactivity, reminders of the event, exaggerated startle reflex, hyperarousal, difficulty sleeping, concentrating hypervigilance. Uh, but there are a lot of kids who don't meet the criteria for PTSD, or PTSD doesn't, isn't quite inclusive of what all they're experiencing. So there's another um, disorder that has been given to these kids called developmental trauma disorder. And this is when you have exposure to multiple chronic episodes of inter adverse interpersonal trauma. So this is abandonment, betrayal, physical assault, sexual assault, uh, threats to bodily integrity, uh, co coercive practices, emotional abuse, witnessing domestic violence and death. And these kids had dysregulation in a number of things, um, affect, behavioral issues, so they'll do reenactment or cutting, uh, cognition, so they'll be thinking that it's constantly happening, 
they'll be confused about dissociation and uh, depersonalization, which we'll talk about in a second. And they have trouble with their relationships. They'll be either clinging or oppositional, distressful, and they'll um, have um, self-attribution, so they'll blame themselves for what's happening in their environment. They also have lots of functional impairments and academics, uh, family dynamics, peer relations, and, and when they grow up and getting and keeping a job. So as I mentioned, uh, depersonalization, derealization disorder, um, these are when you have persistent or repeated feelings that you are observing yourself from outside your body. Um, so you think that things aren't real. Um, you have emotional or physical numbness to your world around you. You feel alienated, so you, like, you feel like you're in a movie or something, lots of daydreaming. You feel kind of emotionally disconnected uh, from the people that you care about. And the causes, again, are emotional abuse or neglect in childhood, physical abuse, witnessing domestic violence, um, having a severely mentally ill parent, or unexpected death of a loved one. Um, so there are some general effects that trauma in general has, uh, but there are lots of trauma-specific effects. So first, we'll talk about the general ones. So in general, if you're exposed to any kind of this, any kind of dra uh, trauma, your hippocampus will be smaller, less volume. So this uh, leads to decreased ability to consolidate memory. So lots of memory problems related. Um, obviously, the amygdala, which is our fear center, um, they'll be over-responsive to emotional stimuli. So angry faces and traumatized children. So these kids are really sensitive to angry faces. As we talked about a little bit earlier. They might uh, miscategorize faces as neutral, that are neutral to be angry. And this is because it's adapted for them to be able to identify anger really quickly because they had to figure out how to deal with it. So they're very sensitive to that. So very um, overactive amygdala. The prefrontal cortex, which is supposed to kind of be the gatekeeper and help regulate the amygdala, that it has less volume in the prefrontal cortex. Um, so you're not as um, able to balance your emotional, your emotions, perceptions, and impulses. And specifically, the ventromedial prefrontal cortex has reduced thickness, and this is responsible for emotional processing of social information. Also, the corpus callosum, we talked a lot about that in a previous round, so it's the major connection between the two hemispheres. So. Uh, there's a decreased size of the corpus callosum with these kids, uh, so you're less able to integrate information, memory, cognitive processing between the two hemispheres. So that's in general. But there are uh, specific effects to the brain based on this, the specific kind of trauma uh, that the patient has experienced. So for example, a parental verbal abuse, um, they'll have reduced gray matter in the primary auditory processing cortex, so you see that here. Also, um, you'll have diminished arcuate vesiculus. So we talked about that is connecting Broca's and Wernicke's. So the primary auditory uh, processing and then the connection between verbal processing are also affected. And so this usually leads to associated uh, lower verbal IQ scores and verbal comprehension. Move to the next panel here. We're talking about witnessing domestic violence. So seeing um, someone you love get um, abused. Um, this is related to um, reduced gray matter, so those are the cell bodies themselves, in the right lingual gyrus and the visual cortex. So this is visual processing areas that are affected. Um, the most considerable effect is if you observe violence between the ages of 11 and 13. So that's one of those critical periods I was talking about earlier. 
Um, also, kind of move that out a little bit between 7 and 13, and it affects the myelination of the visual limbic pathway. So this is the fatty material that goes around the axons to help speed the information moving from the limbic system to the visual system and back. So that's affected. Um, and this, of course, affects the visual uh, processing of emotional information, uh, memory, and learning processes. Uh, sexual abuse, I've moved to the last panel. So you also have um, reduction in the gray matter volume in the primary visual cortex and visual association uh, cortices. And so the extent of this reduced uh, volume correlates with the extent of the sexual abuse you experienced before the age of 12. You also see a greater deficit in visual memory. So because you can't process the information as well, you also have a greater effect in your visual memory. Um, kind of interesting um, effect as well as a reduced volume in the somatosensory area is responsible for processing genital stimulation. Um, that is reduced. So this is a adaptive response. So um, works well if you're being repeatedly sexually assaulted. You don't want to feel it as much, and neither does your brain, and so you have a less uh, volume of that area of the somatosensory cortex, which is very fascinating um, adaptive quality. Um, but it can turn into dysfunction later on in life once you're removed from it because you, you don't feel as much, so you have more dissatisfaction in healthy relationships later. Um, there's lot more that happens with sexual abuse. Um, so you have structural deficits in your reward circuitry, so you can't process positive things as well. Um, there's amygdala hyperactivity, especially when you're recalling the sad auto autobiographical details. You'll have reduced volume in the hippocampus, parahippocampal gyrus, caudate nucleus, corpus callosum, and frontal cortical gray matter in general. Uh, interesting uh, note I found here in chronic fatigue syndrome, they looked at things that um, predicted chronic fatigue syndrome, and sexual abuse was the only childhood trauma that uh, was predictive of your symptoms. Um, so that was an interesting finding. Um, if you have physical trauma, so both physical abuse, neglect, or sexual abuse, um, you have uh, problems with executive functioning, working memory, um, intelligence scores in the psychiatric population, and then reduced cognitive flexibility in healthy adults, too. So even if you don't have a psychiatric disorder, even if you're normally functioning, it still affects your brain. Some other trauma-specific effects. So for emotional abuse, um, you have also the hyperactivity of the amygdala. You have poor connectivity between the right amygdala, anterior ACC, uh, ventral medial PFC. You have a thinning of the right anterior and posterior cingulate and bilateral precuneus. These are the regions that are involved with self-awareness and self-evaluation. We'll talk a lot more about the precuneus in a bit. Um, emotional abuse is also associated with cluster C personality disorders. So these are the ones that are characterized by anxious, fearful thinking or behavior. Um, it kind of has avoidant personality disorder, dependent personality disorder, and obsessive compulsive. Uh, for emotional maltreatment, it's correlated with abnormalities in the frontal limbic, socio-emotional networks. Um, you have reduced functional connectivity between the right amygdala and bilateral inferior parietal cortex, precuneus, orbital frontal cortex, hippocampus, putamen, as well as the right dorsal anterior cingulate cortex and precuneus. You'll reduce volume in the dorsal medial prefrontal cortex and hypoactivity in the medial prefrontal cortex. So general neglect, 
Um, reduced limbic connectivity with the prefrontal cortex, dorsolateral, ventrolateral, and dorsomedial prefrontal cortices in particular. Specifically, if you have maternal neglect, it's associated with cluster C, or I'm sorry, cluster A personality disorders. And these are kind of odd and eccentric uh, thinking or behavior. So paranoid personality disorder, schizo, uh, schizoid personality disorder, and schizotypal, typical personality disorder. Physical neglect, um, dysfunction between the amygdala and the temporal gyrus, uh, also reduced co uh, corpus, callosum, corpus callosum volume, and it's associated with internalizing or withdrawing behavior. Physical abuse, on the other hand, uh, is predictive of external and aggressive behavior, so antisocial, narcissistic, and paranoid traits. Also associated with reduced volume in the right medial PFC, right dorsal ACC, and left dorsal lateral uh, prefrontal cortex. Reduced volume in the orbital frontal cortex, which is responsible for emotion and social regulation. So trauma-related anxiety in general um, works with the fear network. The fear network includes the amygdala. You see those two almond-shaped structures there. The anterior cingulate cortex, the ACC, and the insula. So again, as a review, the amygdala deals with emotions, specifically fear. Uh, determines the salience of emotional and social stimuli, and is usually hyperactive on the right side. Um, so it kind of gives you the people have an inappropriate perception of threat. So everything is threatening, and they have emotional dysregulation. The ACC is, important, is responsible for conflict monitoring and fear learning, uh, detection and appraisal of social situations, emotional awareness, and pain perception. And the insula uh, plays a role in self-awareness, Interpersonal experience, sense of agency, so being able to get yourself out of situation, uh, learned helplessness, um, social experience, norm violations, so knowing what is what is and is not okay, um, emotional processing, empathy, um, is usually dysfunctional anticipatory processing. So you have a situation and you can think, is this going to be bad or not? So that's uh, with Angela uh, plays a role in on, is um, hyperactive usually on the right side. Other areas uh, play a role in these kind of anxiety-related uh, disorders. The dorsal prefrontal cortex, so dorsal is on top, usually on the right side. It's associated with increased attentional bias towards threats or vigilance, so you're always looking for threats. Um, and you have a decreased ability to disengage, so you're constantly looking for the threat and you can't not look for the threat. Ventrolateral uh, prefrontal cortex over on the side. Um, its activation is inversely related to a social avoidance behavior, um, and it's usually underactive, and uh, that's important because it usually dampens or modulates the amygdala activity. But if this isn't working properly, then your amygdala is kind of running rampant. Okay, so post-traumatic stress disorder, we talked about it a second ago. We're gonna talk about the, uh, you know, kind of the brain um, areas that are affected specifically. So orbital frontal cortex, which is important for um, coding information, controlling impulses and regulating mood, is underactive and PTSD. Ventromedial prefrontal cortex is responsible for reward processing. It's usually dysregulated and underactive. It has a kind of an abnormal structure in general. So because of that, it's a failure to regulate activity and fear expression or appraisal. You have exaggerated fear response. So again, everything is fearful and uh, you can't uh, modulate that. 
there are some networks that are affected. So there's poor connectivity in the frontal medial temporal lobe circuit, and also reduced connectivity between the medial temporal lobe and hippocampus. And this is correlated to increased avoidance behaviors. So you know, think about the trauma, um, and you, can, you also can't recall the trauma. The precuneus, um, as I mentioned, is really important in a lot of these trauma-related disorders. Um, it is a, a responsible for mental imagery of yourself, uh, episodic memory, self-consciousness, self-awareness, um, how you relate yourself to others and how they may judge you. Um, it's really important for episodic memories, so source memory, so you know a thing, but where do you know it from, and contextual information to aid the hippocampus and memory. It helps to integrate all kinds of information from all over the brain into a coherent whole of your environment. And usually the right precuneus is overactive and PTSD. We also see a post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, again, it affects how you see yourself and how you relate to the world. And this is mediated by the default mode network, which we work with a lot here. So the default mode network has a lot of uh, midline regions including the posterior cingulate cortex, precuneus, and the medial prefrontal cortex. So uh, PTSD reduces the resting state connectivity of the, of the default mode network, and greater reductions are correlated to increased symptoms of PTSD. So you see here the controls, so people who do not have PTSD, we have a good uh, uh, default mode network activation, but you don't see that with those who have PTSD. But the threat happens to quote unquote normals, um, default mode network goes down, but PTSD, you see a lot of activation in the, um, those regions. Um, so again, the precuneus and this kind of midline network is really important for self-relevant information and how you kind of integrate the events around you to your sense of self. So posterior cingulate cortex and the precuneus are important for embodied self that exists in space. So keeping you in your body and not having the depersonalization symptoms. Medial prefrontal is kind of awareness of thoughts and emotions related to yourself. So I'm scared. Why am I feeling that way? It's kind of self-evaluation. PCC and medial prefrontal, kind of development of self-related and social cognitive functions. So that's what all those midline structures are doing. Another disorder that's related to trauma is borderline personality disorder. Um, this is a chronic condition. Um, you have high levels of impulsivity, affective instability, uh, difficulty establishing and managing interpersonal relationships. Um, lower quality of parental care and a history of child abuse are major contributing factors to borderline personality disorder. Borderline uh, patients have lower activity in the temporal lobes, uh, superior medial frontal regions, cingulate cortex, parietal cortex, hippocampus, and the insula. But they have higher activation in the amygdala, left temporal pole, medial frontal gyrus, a right middle superior temporal gyrus, left precuneus, and left middle occipital gyrus, and the right insula. There's also effects on the default mode network for borderline personality disorder. So you'll have hypo or low connect connectivity in the precuneus and the right posterior cingulate. You'll have hyper or too high connectivity in the medial prefrontal cortex, anterior cingulate cortex, and the posterior precuneus and cingulate. Uh, there's also dysfunction in the frontal limbic circuitry, which uh, is supposed to regulate emotions, uh, but because there's dysfunction, you'll have emotional dysregulation and social cognitive deficits. 
The gray matter volume is reduced in the orbital frontal cortex and temporal regions. There's also hyperactivity in response to affect stimuli in the right amygdala. So again, your right amygdala kind of goes crazy with this slightest um, possible stimulus. Another um, disorder that has been linked is major depressive disorder. So major depressive disorder is depressed mood, loss of interest, low self-esteem and injury level, weight change, insomnia, a disturbance in cognitive functions such as attention and memory, um, childhood trauma, including physical, sexual, and emotional abuse, uh, as well as physical and emotional neglect, have been found to be related to the emergence of major depression disorder and anxiety disorders. There are a number of um, brain networks that are affected um, by childhood trauma and the, those who end up having major depressive disorder. So you have hypo uh, or low connectivity in the frontoparietal network, which is a network responsible for executive control of attention and emotion. You have low connectivity in the default mode network, which is, again is internally oriented attention and self-referential processing. You have lower within network connectivity at the frontoparietal network, dorsal attention network, and cingulo opicular network. You have higher within network connectivity in the default mode network and salience network, and higher within network connectivity in the sensory motor network and visual network. Okay, so that's a lot of information. Uh, but this is a kind of an overview of the way trauma affects your brain from uh, say in toddlerhood, how it actually changes the structure of your brain, how that can be manifested in certain symptoms and then in certain syndromes as well. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. Feel free to subscribe to the Neuroscience Realms podcast for future episodes. You might also enjoy our sister podcast, Let's Head On, with myself and Dr. Ann Stevens, where we discuss the interaction between neuroscience, neuropsychology, and physical and mental well-being. Please feel free to reach out to us at integratebrainhealth.com.